Amen. Please stay standing for the, for the reading of God's word as we continue our study through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 9, and I uh, will be reading verses, the second half of 19 through verse 31 of Acts chapter 9. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how in, on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Praise God for the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, you are a God who does not change. You are the same God. You were, Lord, were a savior at the time of Saul. You are a savior now. Lord, you have constantly been saving people from sin since the creation of the world. And we are thankful that you sent your son to be our savior, the Messiah. Lord, thank you that we don't have to wonder, but we can know you. Lord, in a world and a culture and Lord, society that, that is struggling and falling apart, Lord, that we can rest and trust in you. Lord, that, Lord, you saved Saul and radically transferred his, or transformed his life. And you are still doing the same thing today, and we are thankful for it. Lord, we pray this morning that your word would change our hearts, that you would help us to grow and to change, to be like those who we even just read about now. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated if you would like. All right, my name, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, my name is Pastor Chad, all right? And I am the teaching pastor here at Living Waters. Uh, just even, you know, it was last week, we got to hear from Pastor Rob, and he like stays full-time cop, part-time pastor. I get to say I'm full-time Wells Fargo, part-time pastor. Not near as cool, I know, but it is what it is. I work at Wells Fargo. 
I'm not security or anything. I just sit at a desk. So full-time Wells Fargo, part-time pastor, but it is my privilege and joy to be able to be here this morning and to bring God's word. And so if you guys are, if you've been here, you know that we are walking through the book of Acts. If you're just coming in this morning, that's what we're doing. We're studying through the book of Acts and looking at the thriving church. And so this morning, I get to pick up where Pastor Rob left off, and he talked last week about, right, about Paul or Saul. So he's Saul. He will be Paul. All right. It's confusing for you. It might be confusing for me as I'm up here speaking, but he talked about Saul's salvation and how God miraculously saved him on the road to Damascus. And I told the first service this, as we go through, I am going to try and say his name is Saul because that's what he's called here in Acts chapter nine, but I may call him Paul all the time. I don't know. It's hard, but if it helps you guys, I know that right is 4th of July weekend. And if you lived in a neighborhood like ours, there were fireworks going off all the time. Some of them started at like 5 p.m. And I was just like, what a waste of money, right? I mean, you can barely see the thing. It is loud, but I mean, that's about it. Um, But what I was going to say, again, I lose my train of thought. If, you know, if it helps you guys to stay awake, every time I say Paul instead of Saul, you can take a drink of your coffee. If you don't have coffee, you can go get some really quick. That'll help you stay awake, and then I'll be wondering why everybody's drinking coffee. I'll realize I said the wrong name. Um, but we'll try and call him Saul, all right? And that's how he is here. But his name will change to Paul in Acts chapter 13, in case you're wondering. So uh, Saul, Paul, same person. But we get to carry on or pick up right where Pastor Rob left off. He left off at... Ananias coming and laying hands on Saul and then telling Saul that he would be used by God to suffer for his name and to carry the gospel. So this is where we pick up. And as we go through today, the name of the message is just simply Jesus is the son of God. All right. That is the gospel in a nutshell, boiled down to most simple form. Jesus is the son of God. And this is the, this phrase, this truth, this concept is what changed Saul's life. Because up to this point, Saul had been following God, or he thought he was following God, right? He, he knew the Old Testament. He probably had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. He knew who the God of Jacob was. He knew about Moses. He knew all of these things. And he was a very religious person. But to be honest, he did not actually know God. He just knew about him. He did not know that Jesus was God's son, that Jesus is the savior, that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what would change his life. And so we're going to see that. And as we go through this passage, all right, I'm going to give four patterns that we see of a thriving church. Sorry, I had to move the water before I kicked it over. Uh, We're going to see four patterns of a thriving church. And I'll mention those as we go through. But even as we go through this passage, I just want to read through it and explain it and share the truth of God's word. Um, When I was in, when I took a preaching class in college, they told us, you're not allowed to just tell people or, you know, explain the passage as it goes, because that's called running commentary. But since we just talked about Philip two weeks ago and he ran alongside the chariot and that's exactly what he did was just explain the Bible. I figured it's okay for me to do running commentary. All right, that's just a pastor's joke. Potentially a runner joke if you run, but maybe not. All right, Philip ran along a chariot and it was in good enough shape that he could talk while running. So, right, he had to be in good shape. Anyways, 
we're going to walk through this passage and see four principles of the thriving church. And the first principle is this, is that to be a thriving church, you have to proclaim a consistent message. You have to proclaim a consistent message. And so we see, right, that Saul, it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So after Ananias laid his hands on Saul and he um, spoke with him and encouraged him, he says he was with the disciples in Damascus. And it's, that's, even that part of the verse is cool in and of itself. Saul was staying and hanging out with the very people he went to in prison, right? He went there to ruin these people's lives. He wanted them to be either imprisoned or even killed. He didn't care. He was going to stop anybody who named the name of Jesus. And so he went there to do that. And now we find him hanging out with these very people. And he's hanging out there helping him. And Saul is not somebody to sit still. All right, it says immediately in verse 20, it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And so he went to the synagogues, to the very place that he had letters, right? He had gotten letters from the chief priests that allowed him to go to the synagogues to imprison anybody who named the name of Jesus, anybody who followed the way. And so he went there to do that, but now... We see that God had other plans, didn't he? He showed up. He still showed up at the very same place he was supposed to go. But instead of imprisoning the people that followed Jesus, he is now preaching that very message. And it says he showed up at the synagogues and it says that he said, Jesus is the son of God. And to us, that might not seem as big of a deal or we've heard it a lot or it's not as controversial, but that was extremely controversial at this point in time because he was claiming that Jesus was God. The very Jesus that they had heard of, Jesus born in Bethlehem, the Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus born to Mary, the one who grew up as a carpenter's son. This man was not a mere man, but he is God. He is Lord. And Saul proclaimed that in the synagogue. And this was, again, this was what, totally changed in his life because up to this point, he would have rejected Jesus as being the Messiah, just as any who Orthodox practicing Jews today would reject Jesus as the Messiah. And they would still be looking for the coming of the Messiah. Saul showed up at the synagogue saying, no, you don't have to look any farther. Jesus is God's son. And to understand like that, this wasn't just like a you know, a fluke thing or that it was even looking back into the gospel of John in John chapter 10, Jesus was talking to the Jews and to the leaders of his day. And he said this, he said in John 10, it's, he was talking with them. He was talking to the Jews and it says in John 10 31, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So this was not the first time they picked up stones to stone Jesus, but again, they picked up stones to stone him. You kind of see a pattern of what happens to people who were naming the name of Jesus when they didn't agree, right? Stephen was stoned. They wanted to stone Jesus. We'll see in a few verses that they also want to kill Paul. They did not. Yep, Saul, thanks for the correction over there. You guys can take your drink of coffee if you need to right now. All right. So Saul, um, I'm doing way better in this service than I did in the first service. So 
as we go through, but Jesus was talking to the Jews and they wanted to stone him. And, and he says, Jesus asked them, he said, I've shown you so many good works from the father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not because of a good work we want to stone you, but because of the blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Um, and it says, and then he goes down in a few verses in verse 36, he says, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. And Jesus claiming to be the son of God, they understood meant that he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the Messiah. If you remember in Matthew, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of God. You are the Christ. And Jesus praised him for saying, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is the whole key to the gospel, that Jesus is God's son. That he alone came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins. And that only by him and only through him can we find forgiveness of our sins and salvation. And we know this because in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father but by me, right? Now, he isn't a way. He isn't one of many. He is the only way. And this is the message that Paul slash Saul is now preaching in the synagogue. This man who had come to persecute Christians is now in the synagogue saying, no, Jesus is God's son. This is the message of the whole New Testament. You read 1 John in 1 John 2, he says, watch out for the false teachers. How do you know somebody's a false teacher? That they deny Jesus is the son of God. In 1 John um, 4, he says the same thing, test the spirits. And if you know it's a false spirit, if they deny that Jesus is the son of God, you cannot know the father and reject the son. There is no possible way to do that. First John also wrote in 1 John 5, he said, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And he goes on to say his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been of God over, or sorry, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So I, I, we could go on and on in the New Testament. When Paul, when Paul wrote in Galatians about that he had been crucified with Christ, now he no longer lives, but it is this Jesus who is the son of God living in him. This is the only time that Luke uses the term son of God in Acts. But this is the message, right? This is the message that we stand on. It is a simple message, but it is the message of truth. That Jesus is God's son. And just to even reiterate that point, there's an author, and I've maybe even used this quote before, but from C.S. Lewis, writing to say, why is it so important that we acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God? C.S. Lewis wrote this, talking about, because if you've, if you've ever talked to people, they'll say, hey, I believe that Jesus is a good person. He might be a good teacher. He was a good moral teacher, even a prophet, but I will not say he's the son of God. C.S. Lewis says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That is the message. Jesus is Lord. You either accept that Jesus alone is the Messiah, and you accept that, and with joy go into the presence of God the Father knowing that he is your savior or you reject it and face eternal punishment in hell. And that's not something to be said lightly. There is no middle ground. There isn't the really good people who believe that Jesus go to heaven. And the people who really reject him go to hell and everybody else is just kind of in the middle. No, you either accept Jesus Christ our Lord or you do not. That is the dividing line of all humanity. And this is why Saul was in the synagogue proclaiming this message. And this is a message he would die for. Jesus is Lord. And so if you take nothing else from the message this morning or even from this passage, I pray that you take that. The Holy Spirit would continue to work that in your heart. Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. It says that, that Saul proved that to them later on in the passage that he would prove that Jesus is the Christ. And which means he walked through the Old Testament, right? As he went through, it was very cool that as he saw this now, all his Old Testament training, all his training under the Pharisees, like became unlocked. He all of a sudden had a new understanding of what the Old Testament meant. And we know kind of his experience, kind of as you read through Luke, who wrote Luke and also is the author of the book of Acts. In Luke 24, he talks about two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus and they were going and all of a sudden Jesus starts walking with them and they didn't understand, they didn't recognize him. And so he says, hey, what's the big deal? Why is everybody so worked up? And they're like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem hasn't heard what's going on? And they probably thought later like, oh man, how weird was it that we just said that to Jesus? All right, because he would later reveal himself that he was Jesus, but they're like, you're the only person? Obviously, Jesus kind of knew what happened in the last three days in Jerusalem, having been on the cross and risen from the dead. But it says, as they talked, it says, Jesus started with Moses and then through the prophets and explained how all the Old Testament spoke of him. And all of a sudden, he opened their eyes and they understood what the Old Testament was about, the coming of the Messiah and how Jesus is that Messiah. And that is what Paul preached. The message is consistent. You will see, no matter church, there are different methods. There are different, God uses different ways even within this passage to get that message across. But the one thing that never changes is the message. It is always Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. We are sinners. God sent his son 
to die on the cross for our sins. And for that, we can have eternal life. Not because of anything we did, but because Jesus is Lord. He was Lord then and he is Lord today. And so that is the first thing. We have a consistent message. And um, it says, like I said, it said he continued to prove. He increased all the more in strength as he was there in Damascus. And it says that the people there, right, they were confused, which rightly so, right? They, this guy came up. He had letters saying you could take all these people to prison if you want. Now he is preaching the very same message he meant to, this, to, to destroy. And so God is using him in a great way. And we see that he speaks a consistent message. And we'll come back to some of the other verses later maybe. But uh, as he went through, we go from verse 22 to verse 23. All right. And again, I am a fan of how Luke denotes time. Right? The beginning verse, it says, for some days he was at Damascus. How many days? I don't know. Just some. All right, More than one, less than forever, I guess. Just some days. And then in verse 23, we get, when many days had passed. So that seems to be more than some. But it was many days. And so you can ask my wife, this is, this is my sense of time. How long? Eh, some days, many days, a few days, I don't know. Just, you know, some time. I'm you know, I do, one thing I do know is that I have six hours and 40 minutes left on this microphone, so I'll hurry up. But uh, this is what Nathan told me when I put it on. But he said, many days. That's three years, all right? And it's, he just kind of glosses over it here. But if you read Galatians 1, you see that Paul, after he was saved, after he is converted, he went away into Arabia, into kind of a wilderness slash desert place, for three years. So he preached in Damascus, then he went away for three years. And he meditated, he learned, he grew, he understood more and more who Jesus was and who he, and probably started to understand more what God wanted of him and where God would send him. And so for three years, he's gone. And then he comes back. And it says, so when the many days had passed, he came back, and I'm assuming. He started doing the same thing again, started preaching the same message, maybe even more fervently. And so how did the Jews respond? The Jews plotted to kill him. And one interesting thing, like the term used for Jews here is used of the Jewish leaders. And just seeing the change, right? Because just in the previous chapter, who was it that gave him the authority to persecute the church? The Jewish leaders right? The, the chief priests. And now the very people that had been his biggest champion were now plotting to kill him. All right. And it was a serious plot. They, like, they were so serious about it. It wasn't just like, maybe we'll kill him if we find him. They posted guards or they posted people watching the gates day and night. Like if he tried to leave Damascus, they were going to kill him. Apparently they weren't quite to the point they were just going to kill him in the middle of the city like they did with Stephen, but they were going to kill him if he tried to leave the city. And so the other thing you see of a thriving church, not only does a thriving church um, proclaim a consistent message, a thriving church, another pattern that we see is that they have to persevere through constant opposition. If you are going to name the name of Jesus, if you are going to proclaim that message and stand on it and not back down, you will face opposition. All right, people are okay if you're like, well, Jesus is just one in many ways. But if you claim as the Bible does. And if we proclaim that he is not one of many, he is the only way. And we are sharing the truth of the gospel that God has given to us. Then you will face opposition just as Paul did. 
And so they, they weren't necessarily sure what to do. And even as they face opposition, this, you know, this part makes me laugh. It says, but his disciples, his followers, and so this makes more sense that he would actually have people that were part of his group now that it's been three years since he was in Damascus and not just like two weeks. Um, but his disciples let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And we get a little more glimpse of what this, this was as we look in Second Corinthians, but they didn't know how to get him out. All right. And, you know, he couldn't stealthily sneak out. He wasn't, maybe he wasn't big enough to take it out and take him out himself. And so they, they devise a plan and their plan is to lower him out in a basket. <laughs> All right. And it, you know, the reason why it makes me kind of laugh, because it says, Paul said in second Corinthians eleven thirty, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And so then he's going to say something that showed his weakness. It says, at Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a win- in a window to escape his hands. All right, so if Paul wasn't like super proud of the fact that he had to be lowered down in a basket. All right, and it says in one... Co- you know, one version that says a large basket. So he wasn't just standing in a tiny basket. It wasn't a laundry basket. I don't know what kind of basket it was. It was a large basket, enough for him to be in. And maybe it was because, you know, like it sounds similar to the story of Rahab letting the spies escape and lowering them out of the, but those guys were rugged apparently because they didn't need a basket to get out of Rahab's window. They just rappelled down on their own using the rope. Maybe Paul was not quite strong enough to use his own arms to lower himself down the rope. Therefore, they had to devise some kind of way to hook up a basket and lower the basket, but not too fast so they didn't drop him. And they lowered him out. But they, they escaped, he escaped through this and he ended up going to Jerusalem. And it says, let's get back to, to Acts here. It says, as he went to Jerusalem, he's facing this opposition. He's facing it from the Jewish leaders. So then he shows up at Jerusalem and it says he attempted to join the disciples. And in the Greek word, it is continually tried. Like he kept trying to join the disciples. And again, Luke is not super strong in time because this wasn't like a super long period. He was probably only, according to Galatians, he was probably only in Jerusalem for about 15 days this time total. But the idea is he tried to join the disciples and they're like, uh, no, you can't come in. You were the one who destroyed the church here in Jerusalem. You are the one who wreaked havoc. And we know this because earlier in verses 21 and 22, when he was in Damascus, he said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name of Jesus? And that word is only used here. And then two times in Galatians to utterly destroy, to try to like vehemently destroy. He was working. It wasn't just that he was like annoyed by the church. It wasn't just that he was you know, I don't really like them. I'm going to be rude to them. He was trying to destroy the church. And he wreaked such havoc in it that three years later, when he showed up, they did not want to let him in. All right. And why? Because he, it's so hard for us to see somebody change that drastically, right? Because last week, Pastor Rob preached on switching teams, right? We don't enjoy people switching teams if they switch from our favorite team to another team. And he, he went through that. They were confused by that. For example, right? I didn't, I didn't watch much women's basketball till my daughters got older. And for example, for you guys as 
it seems like majority Iowa Hawkeye fans when we do certain things. But, for example, if Caitlin Clark were to decide this year that she was going to now change teams and play her final year of college basketball for Iowa State, would you Hawkeye fans be encouraged or happy about that? Apparently indifferent. Maybe you guys don't have daughters that watch college basketball. So I, and I, that's where I was a few years ago. Right, but any of you who followed it would not be indifferent, right? You guys would be upset. Like, how could you? You, you used to be our favorite player. Now you're playing for the worst team that you could play for. Oh, oh there we go. Now we find, all right, people are starting to wake up. Not the worst team. There are worse teams. I understand. I just was trying to make sure people are awake. So there we go. They could not understand that he truly had become a follower of Jesus Christ. They were trying. They were confused by it. And the disciples weren't sure. They were trying to protect, right? It is hard to go against everything you have learned. And I, as we're coming up on July 4th, right, this, this weekend, I am reminded, like, July 4th parades. We have those. And the very first parade we took our kids to, I still always remember this. Like, what are the two most important things you probably tell your first child when they're younger? Two of the main re- Two of the main lessons you teach them before they start going outside is one, do not play in the street. Two, don't take candy from strangers. All right? And you ingrain that, especially in your firstborn. All right? Two through six is a little less hazy. It may not as, but man, was that ingrained in our firstborn. Do not play in the street. Do not take candy from strangers. Fourth of July parade, cars driving down the street, random people throwing candy go get the candy. And I still remember our firstborn turning around looking like, who are you people? Is this a test? Am I actually supposed to go in the street and get candy? Or am I going to get like grounded or maybe get like totally disciplined because I just went in the street and took candy from a stranger. And it, it took a long time for us to get him to go get the candy. All right. Yeah. Like I said, our younger kids, no worries. Like I'm sure this year Hattie's just going to like sprint out there and we're going to have to make sure she doesn't get run over. But in the same sense, as you know, he was like, how could this be? You know, like basically, as he was seeing us, his parents betraying everything we just taught him, the disciples were having a hard time understanding if what Paul was saying was true, if he really had changed. People were confused either because they didn't understand why he changed or the disciples were not ready to quite let him in. One, because they weren't sure. And two, they were in charge of protecting the flock. And they didn't want to let in a a wolf in sheep's clothing to then destroy the church again after it had been built back up for three years. And so they were hesitant. But this is a cool picture here we see. It says in the next pattern we're going to see um, of, of a thriving church is providing caring encouragement. It says that... Then Barnabas, or but Barnabas, took Paul, or took Saul, and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas went out on a limb. He put his reputation on the line and stood up for Saul. He brought Saul to Peter and said, No, Saul has been changed. He boldly preached that Jesus is Lord. He believes this and is preaching this. He is changed and God is using him. And it took Barnabas 
bringing him in for Paul to, or for Saul to become a part of the early church in Jerusalem. And this was a challenge to me is that too often we are so focused on standing for the truth and opposing those against us that at times we can be opposed to people who are preaching the same message. Because when we talked about the fact that Christians or thriving churches will continually have to persevere constant opposition, not all of that opposition comes from unbelievers. Sometimes we will face opposition and discouragement from believers, just as Paul did here. But we thank God for men like Barnabas, who is, his name means, son of encouragement. And he first showed up in Acts 4.36 by selling property and generously giving the money to the church and encouraging. And he shows up here. And we only see Barnabas a few times. And when we see him, it's that God uses him for great impact. And God used Barnabas to encourage Saul and to help the other disciples see that Saul was a follower of Jesus Christ. And so even as we think about that, are you standing up for, are you encouraging other believers? This is, right, this is something that God, as I studied this passage, right, these are, there's so much in this passage, so many good things. And this was probably the least thing I expected to be impacted by. But this is one of the things that God convicted me of the most. Is that too often I don't encourage other believers. By God's grace, we help each other grow, and sometimes that means confrontation, but too often, it's only that. And we don't encourage one another to help one another grow in Christ or help another believer make a step or stand up for other believers to help unify the church. God used Barnabas to provide encouragement to Saul and then through that to all the people that Saul and preached to here in Jerusalem and then throughout the regions of the, like the known world at that time. And so we see that there was encouragement. And that's not the only place you see encouragement in this passage. You saw encouragement in the fact that we mentioned earlier that he was hanging out with the believers in Damascus and they were helping him. And then we see that Barnabas' example is followed because what happens when Saul faces persecution in Jerusalem? These same brothers that were hesitant to let him in are now the ones who help him escape opposite, or help him escape again. And so we see a continued pattern of proclaiming a consistent message because as soon as Saul was encouraged, or Barnabas encouraged the apostles to accept Saul, it says, then he went in and out of them freely, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. That encouragement enabled and helped Saul to continually preach the consistent message that Jesus is Lord. And so he then began to speak to the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, and the ones who stoned Stephen three years ago apparently have not changed much, right? Because what was their response? Did they come up with a whole lot of ways to refute what Paul said, Saul said? No. They're like, let's go back to what worked for us before. Uh, let's kill him. All right? Just like we killed Stephen, just like we killed other people who disagreed with us, they were ready to kill him. And why couldn't they refute him? Because he was speaking the truth of God's word. He was showing them clearly from the Old Testament through that Jesus is Lord. And they couldn't refute it. Just as when Nicodemus showed up 
to see Jesus in John chapter 3. What did he say that the Pharisee said? He said, we know that you are from God. But yet they chose to reject him. They, the Pharisees knew that Jesus was from God, that no one could do what Jesus did unless he had been sent by God. They bought so much into their lives that they justified murdering Jesus while trying to uphold all the other small laws and commandments. And so we see the same pattern here. It hasn't changed and it won't change because salvation is either, as Paul writes in Corinthians, the gospel is a beautiful smelling aroma to those who are being saved, but to those who reject it, it is the stench of death. And so that is what we see to provide encouragement. And then finally, just wrapping up, you just see that a thriving church pursues continual growth. And so again, they wanted to kill Paul, that the brothers come and help him and they help send him on to Caesarea and off to Tarsus where he would minister for probably roughly nine years before he started his missionary journeys. And so God took Saul through a long period of individual growth before he used him in a great way on missionary journeys. And we also see that the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. They were not facing the fierce opposition they faced under Saul. And they were having peace in God. And, and again, for time's sake, well, you can study it out. But they, they grew by walking in the fear of the Lord or in awe of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they had peace in him. And the church grew, not only in Jerusalem now, but also in Judea, Caesarea, and then into Samaria. In, or in Galilee and then into Samaria, we see that God is fulfilling the Great Commission. Because last time in, in Acts 6, 7, it said the church grew and the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. So God used the persecution. God used Philip as he went and preached to the Ethiopian. God used Saul as he preached in Damascus and then would go out into various areas to start spreading the gospel. And the cool thing is, as we continue to study through Acts, we will see the gospel go to the uttermost parts of the world as Jesus commanded and as we still seek to do today. And so, again, in, or just in closing, just think through these things. Um, I would just challenge you as, you as you would to think through as we look through these things. First, is Jesus Lord in your life? That was the message that Paul preached. Is he your savior? Is Jesus Lord of your life? If, if he is, praise the Lord. If he is not, please, we plead with you to think about that today. To come talk to, to me or one of the other pastors or someone who brought you, Lord, just to know whether or not Jesus is Lord of your life. Are you willing to suffer for his name? Are we willing to preach that message in face of opposition? Um. As we look at Barnabas, are you encouraging fellow believers? Or are you discouraging them? What is your attitude towards others? Are you being an encouragement? And I would say that the absence of encouragement is discouragement. And that is something that falls often in my own life. Just because I think an encouraging word in my head doesn't mean anything if I don't say it. Encourage brothers as they are following Jesus. And then are you seeking to grow in Christ? Do you fear him? Is your peace found in him? Is 
your comfort found in the Holy Spirit. There are all things that we learn from Saul as he went through these things and as God worked in and through him and that he does in us. So let me close in a word of prayer and may he use his word as we, as we close in song. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, that you sent your son to pay for our sins. Lord, we are thankful for that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not yet know for sure that they can that Jesus is their savior, that they have not yet placed faith in your son, Lord. We pray that today would be that day. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, may we boldly proclaim that simple message. Jesus is Lord. And may you help us stand in the face of those who would oppose the truth of the gospel. That we would, as Saul did, speak and dispute when necessary. Talk normal or dispute. Lord, that we would just stand for the truth however you would have us. And that we would encourage one another to grow in grace. So Lord, I pray you would use your word, that your spirit would use your word in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand once more, shall we? Sing to our King of Kings.